On Sunday nights, we're continuing through our series of God's amazing grace, looking about, looking out at how His grace has affected the lives of men and women, characters in uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament story, thinking about that a little bit and hopefully applying that to our own lives as well. You ever been alone? You ever feel completely alone, even in a large crowd of people, just for whatever reason, you feel, uh, for, for just whatever reason, uh, terribly, terribly alone. We all have probably had that experience at one time or another, especially when you're going through something difficult. Uh, your mind can can feel um, like you are really struggling and feel like there's no one to sympathize or empathize. I think that's one of the reasons that we have each other in the church. Henry David Thoreau famously said that the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. The very first time I heard that quote, I think it was in English literature class, and I thought that is a terribly depressing thought. Uh, But the older I get, uh, the more I believe that that to be true. There are many, many human beings that go through life uh, feeling this quiet desperation that there must be more to to their lives than what they are currently experiencing, and that that stress, that that desperation to fill the hole in their heart, to fill the hole that God has placed there with anything other than God. Uh, Better said is the scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The very beginning, in fact, the very first thing that God said was not good. Do you remember what it is? Chapter 2, verse 18 The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Of course, he was saying this right before he created Eve, a suitable helper, unlike any other uh, that would be suitable and fitting and a lifelong companion for Adam. But God recognized the problem, that it's within our nature to be in relationship with other people. And that when we lack that, when we isolate ourselves, either by our own choice or by the choosing of others, we are on very dangerous ground and very uh, bad territory to be in. I met a man a couple of weeks ago by the name of Sean. Sean was doing what you see in the picture. He was pushing a lawnmower. I was at my mother's house helping her with some things, and as I came out to leave, I saw Sean, I didn't know his name at the time, but I saw this man pushing a lawnmower, and he saw me, and he kind of pushed his lawnmower to the side of the street, and he made his way sheepishly up the driveway. He said, I I just want you to know I'm not crazy, I, I don't have any weapons or anything, I mean you no harm. I simply want to ask you, would I'm my house burned down, I've lost everything, and I would like I'm looking for some work. And would it be possible I could mow your lawn? Well, it wasn't my decision to make since it was mom's house. She said, No, I don't need it right now. And so he's continued on his way. But I was so impressed about what he was trying to do. You know, he wasn't just one of these guys holding a sign just looking for a handout. He was sincerely looking for a hand up. 
trying to better his situation. And I didn't know the whole situation, but I was so impressed by it that as I left my mom's house, I decided to try to track down this man who was trying to work to improve his lot in life. When I caught up to him, I saw the lawnmower on the side of the street next to a dumpster. And he was in the dumpster, and he was just pulling himself out of the dumpster. And sheepishly, he looked embarrassing that I had seen, and he had a bag. He said, well, I'm sorry that you had to see me crawling in the dumpster, but there's a good bag in there, and I might be able to use that. So I talked with him, introduced myself, and uh, I said, I, I was very impressed by your willingness to work. I said, I don't have a yard for you to mow, but I, I am willing to give you the, the, all the cash that I have. It's $7. He said, I appreciate that very much. You really don't have to do that. I'd be glad to help you if you need anything. I said, well, I, I really don't right now. But um, he said, well, I'll, I'll use that to, to go buy lunch. And we were, go, we were right across the street from a quick trip. I said, well, I tell you what, don't spend the $7 on lunch. Let me help you one, one step further. Let me go buy you some lunch at Quick Trip. Whatever. I mean, they have lots of options now at gas stations to eat. So he pushed his lawnmower over that away. I pulled into the parking lot. We met about the same time and went in and got him lunch. And as he came out and he sat down, he told me his story. And it was a sad one. Now, I, I don't think I'm a very good judge of people. It's just not one of my gifts. I, I tend to have the spiritual gift of gullibility. I just believe whatever people tell me. And so consequently, I've been burned a lot in these situations. And it's made me pretty cynical. I don't usually give to people that are looking for a handout because I've just been burned too many times. Near as I could tell, keeping my, in mind my spiritual gift of gullibility, I think Sean was telling the truth. He said that he'd had a, a pretty difficult situation in his life. That his wife, and I think he said daughter, but don't exactly remember that part, but he had lost them in a car accident a couple of years ago. And that had sent him in a, down a downward path. And he lost about everything. And he'd been living with someone, uh, and their house burned down. He's living on a couch somewhere, that house caught fire, so he didn't have a place to live. Now, I realize that Sean's is, a, is an unusual story, but he shared, as we conversed, a common problem. That I hear people who are spiritual and people who are not, people who follow Christ and people who don't, believers and non-believers alike, and that is this. I feel so alone. Well, naturally, I, I wanted to try to help him in ways that were beyond just the immediate. So I began to tell him about places like Simple House and ask if he would want to ride over there. I didn't know if they were open or not. I told him of some places that I knew where people who are homeless could go have temporary shelter and connections within the community that could help him get back on the right track. And he said... You know, I've, I've honestly been in enough shelters, and it's such a terrible situation. And people there will steal what little you have from you. Uh, it's a, a lot of violence there. It's just a 
it's a real ugly situation. You see some folks that are addicted to alcohol and drugs and will do anything to get their next fix. In fact, he said he was pushing his lawnmower. He said, so he, he, he said, I've, you know, I've really decided it's, that's not the best place for me to be and I don't really like to be there. I just want to be on my own. He said, I've, I've learned to sleep up against my lawnmower so that if someone tries to take it from me, they'll at least have to go through me to get it. He said, because this isn't my, you know, this is like my second or third lawnmower. He, he chose to be alone. He's actually, he said, I actually prefer to be alone because of what I've been through and the, the tragedy that I've experienced that comes from other people. There wasn't really much else I could do with Sean or for Sean at that moment. So I did the only thing I knew to do, which was maybe the best thing to do, and I asked if I could pray with him. And so there at the corner of Hillside and I guess that would be right right there at Kellogg and Hillside. There's a quick trip there on the corner of that quick trip. A man that I didn't know who was going through a very rough situation in his own life, who I think was genuine, sincere, and honest and not running any scam, just making his way very difficultly through life. We prayed. And I asked Sean to... I asked for God to come near Sean and show himself to Sean and be present in Sean's life and, and remind him that he was not forgotten, that he was not alone, and that God indeed knew Sean and that if Sean wanted to improve his life situation, to turn his heart toward God. We finished. I shook his hand, and that's the last I've seen of Sean in the last two weeks. But every time I go to mom's, I'll look at Quick Trip and see if I see a guy pushing a lawnmower. Because I want to help that guy to know what I know. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Have you ever felt alone? If you have, you're in good company. It's easy to do. When you look out at our... All you have to do is just look up in the night sky... And consider the vastness of the universe. We used to, elders and staff, take a weekend and go out to Mullenville, Kansas, and do some strategic planning. And part of that weekend that we used to partake of was going outside, uh, miles and miles from light pollution, and looking up into the vastness of the sky. And it's amazing, on a clear night, it seemed like you could see forever. In fact, one night you could actually see the shape of the Milky Way. And to just get lost in the vastness of it. That's good when you're doing strategic planning. It gives you a bit of perspective. Helps you to understand that you're not the biggest thing in the world. By one count, there's over 100 billion stars just in the Milky Way galaxy. And there's... Something in the estimates of 10 trillion galaxy in the known universe. There's still much of it that we don't know. Amongst all of those galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars in each galaxy, maybe more, it's easy to feel pretty small. We have sent 
radio waves, communications out into the vastness of space, looked into the vastness of space, wondering the question, are we all alone? So far, we have not found anything that would do anything but affirm that answer. And maybe they'll find life someday, I don't know. But even if we look outside of the vastness of space and the galaxies and the known universe, even just look at our own planet, take a look at the one planet that we know of that has life. As we look at our own earth, even as we consider how small it is in the known universe, and though there is life on our one planet, when you look at that one planet, you realize that there's over eight billion, or over seven billion, nearing to eight billion, as one of seven, almost eight billion people, it's easy to feel alone. It's easy to feel like maybe you're lost in the masses. How on earth could God really see and care and know each one of them? It's easy to assume that God is either too big to care or that you are too small to be noticed. When it comes right down to it, we easily identify with the psalmist who wrote this in Psalm chapter 8. You can turn there if you wish. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. <clears throat> you have set your glory... Above the heavens, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Verse 3 and 4 is so I want to focus in on what David says here is what we often feel. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? It's fair to say that most all of us have had that experience. What are we that you, great as you are, would care for us? Wondering if God is there. Wondering if, if, if he is there, does he possibly care for little old me? What are we that you care for us? The problem is leads to basically two groups of people. And I, I shared this illustration before, but it goes along. So if you could bring down the lights, I want to show a video clip from the movie Signs. And the story is a weird story, but uh, uh, this description is pretty accurate. Some people are probably thinking this is the end of the world. That's true. Do you think it could be? Yes. How can you say that? That wasn't the answer you wanted. Couldn't you pretend to be like you used to be? Some comfort. People break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group number one sees 
coincidence. This is a sign. Evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them. Group number two sees it as just pure luck. A happy turn of chance. I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way. For them, the situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. Yeah, there are those people. But there's a whole lot of people in the group number one. And they see those 14 lights. They're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there'll be someone there to help them. And that fills them with hope. See, what you have to ask yourself is, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind that sees signs? sees miracles or do you believe that people just get lucky or look at the question this way is it possible that there are no coincidences it's a pretty good teaser for the movie itself because it's based upon this idea as you see how the story connects and how the ultimate fulfillment of their victory over the enemy seems like there are no coincidences. But the summary of, of that is really the summary of this kind of entire book, this story. There are two types of people. Those who believe, those who believe that God is with them and understand that no matter how alone they feel, they are not alone. And then those who believe that we are totally alone. That life is a matter of survival of the fittest. Do as much as you can, as quick as you can, and hurt as many people as possible because um, you're on your own. The Gospel of John is where we are tonight. Uh, long introduction, but I, I wanted to set up the problem that we, that John is addressing, that we kind of gloss over. John is stepping into something. Obviously, we view this as part of the story. <clears throat> you understand, when John wrote these words, and when Jesus stepped into the picture, God had been silent, not for four years, not for 40 years, but for 400 years, the people had not heard a word from God. Even for people who are believers, we're talking about multitudes of generations passing, and maybe in their minds, the great I am... Seem more like the great I was. Oh, he may have worked back then, but I see no evidence. I hear no word of God working now. That may have been the prevailing attitude. So John opens these words, and John was clearly a uh, group number two guy. Listen to how he opens this book, a well-known passage, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, this is verse 10, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and yet his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Uh, Let's break this down. As John introduces Jesus, he says, in the beginning, the word was God. Of course, all the way, hearkening all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 1, a scripture they all knew and which would have been mem- uh, planted deep within their hearts that they had memorized. And, and John's saying, God has not, he's not the great I was, he's the great I am. He's always been and he always will be. And this God, this Jesus, in, this God in the flesh, he was back in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. Um, Jump out of John for just a minute and read Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. He, talking about Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Go back to John. He said that the word was with God and the word was God, proving to us the claims that Jesus made about himself, that Jesus is God, the only God. The Jehovah's Witnesses, in their translations, have trouble with this. They say Jesus was a God. No, no, no. That's not what the Scripture says. They have twisted that. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, at this time, uh, God has come as close as He's ever been. And you think about, since the Garden, how much separation there has been from human beings and God. And how each step closer God came when when he revealed himself on the mountain, when he came to dwell within the tabernacle, when he when he was in the holy of holies within the temple. It wasn't as if he needed a place to live. He did that so that he might come near. And now through Jesus Christ, he comes to us in the presence 
of flesh and blood. A God who gets tired. A God who gets hungry. A God who has emotions like anger and weeping and mourning and frustration. A God who puts on human flesh. The incarnation is the theological term. And he dwells with us. He does that because he's for us. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus is not just God in the flesh, but he's grace in the flesh. The presence of God dwelling with us. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is both fullness of truth and the fullness of the grace of God. It's important because... A lot of times human beings swing to one end or the other. Jesus was both full truth, the logos, and full grace. Jesus is living proof that God is, that not just he was, but that he is, that he sees us, that he knows our need, and that he cares uh, look down, just skip a few verses down in, in John chapter 1 and look at verse 47. This is kind of an interesting account, of the story of Nathanael. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Verse 48, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Think how Nathaniel was changed at this point, right? He's being introduced to this rabbi that he doesn't know, and the rabbi points out something that only Nathaniel knew as evidence of how much Jesus knew Nathaniel and knew who he was and knew where he was and what he was doing. And, and to this, Nathaniel responds properly. You are the Christ. You are the king. You're the Messiah. Obviously. Now, Nathaniel may have had a different idea of what that meant. But he knew that Jesus was someone who knew him. Who knew him deeply and personally. And, and not just knew him, but cared for him. Um, I was trying to think about how to relate this. When you know someone impressive and powerful, I mean, just known by everyone, you expect to introduce yourself to them, but they don't have to introduce themselves to you, right? Because they're, they're known by everyone. Uh, many years ago, Christy and a friend were in Stillwater, and they went to, uh, I think it was Eskimo Joe's, I don't remember exactly, but they were at this restaurant, and... They were eating, and they see all this commotion and kind of a crowd outside. And it uh, turns out that Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood were 
coming to there to eat. And they found him a booth sort of toward the back of the restaurant. But from where Christy and her friend were sitting, they could see Garth and Tricia. That was a pretty cool little moment, uh, meeting a celebrity. Um, imagine what it would be like, because they did go up to him, you know, uh, shamelessly, and um, and said, you know, it's nice to meet you, and we love your songs, and, and can we get an autograph and all of that. But imagine if, if Garth had, had just looked at Christy and said, hey, Christy, it's good to see you. Yeah, I'd be amazed. I mean, that, that would just blow her away. Uh, politicians get to be really good politicians because they can remember people's names just easily. I mean, they just meet them once and never forget them. It makes people feel important. Well, Jesus did that for Nathaniel. Jesus did that for his other disciples as well, showing them that he knew them. Uh, read Psalm chapter 139. It reminds us that... Um, what Jesus was doing there was not just a cool trick to make people feel important. He was showing who he was. Psalm chapter 139, we're going to read a good section of it here. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I arise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Before one of them came to be. God is big enough to know each of us, according to the scriptures, intimately and personally. He knows you better than you know yourself. Uh, Someone gave me a book about something called the, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the Enneagram. I don't know if you've heard of this or not. They have all these categories of personality types and who knows? So I kind of go through the, the trivia and the questions they ask you to assess who you are. As I'm going through those assessments, you know, there's some questions I have to think about. Well, does it mean in this situation or that situation? Does it mean recently in my life or over the course of my life? And sometimes it's hard to figure out. 
and you, you, you know, do all the questions and you figure out, they have this number system. So I'm a number three, if you're curious. And uh, then you go through and you read, it describes the, the typical Enneagram three. And as you read it, some of it's like, man, that's really spot on. I know why Christy's frustrated with me so much. I get it now. You, you, you look at some of that stuff and, 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 you know, trying to figure out who you are, your personality quirks, your strengths, your weaknesses, all of that can be a lifelong process. But God knows you before any of that ever happened. Jesus knew you before you were even a thought. He knows you and he's created you and he's knit you together. And, and in comparison to all the other creations of the world, uh, you are his masterpiece. And he's still working through you. So it wasn't just about him knowing Nathaniel. It was John's way of saying he knows us, that you're not alone. And, and you can know the fact that you're not alone because grace and truth dwell in the flesh. So may we seek not just to be awed by the fact that he knows us, but may we respond to that by doing this. May we, and this here's the takeaway for tonight, may we make him known. May, may we make his story a part of our story. You know, I, I went through some pretty hard times. I walked through a pretty deep valley. I went through some difficult things, but God didn't forget me. I really messed up. I made some terrible, sinful mistakes. Things that I still can't, I just wince when I think about them. But God saw me, and he didn't give up on me. Jesus saw me, and he kept working in my life. And it's a great thing to know, not just grace and truth, in the word, but grace and truth in the word of God, the flesh, the fullness of God dwelling with us. So may we not forget that even in times when you feel alone, when you're struggling, when you, when you are going through some hard things, and you feel like no one in the world understands what you are going through, may you not forget that Jesus knows you. And he hasn't given up on you. And he's still working in your life, just as he was in Nathaniel's, certainly as he was in John's. May he continue to through you. And may, as you realize that more and more, may you continue to make him known in your story. So that others may know that they are known by him. Jesus did not forget us. God certainly did not forget us. May we share the good news wherever we go. The real issue is this. We are known by him. And someday we're going to meet him face to face. And on that day, whenever it comes, we're closer now than we've ever been to it. The question will be, do you know him? And have you lived your life Doing as he wanted you to do. Living as he called you to live. 
The question really then is not, does he know you? The question tonight is, do you know him? I want to ask you that question. Do you know the Jesus spoken of in these words? Do you know that he lived for you? Oh, but do you know that he died for you? And that he came out of the tomb for you? And that he's in heaven waiting for you? If you don't know him, I'd like to introduce you to him. I'd like to tell you all about him and help you know him better. Tonight, if you have a need of knowing him, or maybe you just haven't been making him known as you ought, maybe you could change that beginning tonight. If you need my prayers or prayers of our shepherds to encourage you, uh, we pray that you might come and respond tonight. Uh, Please come if you have a need together as we stand and sing.